Hello and welcome back to Dietitian Cafe where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. This part two episode is in response to the recent Daily Mail article which branded registered dietitians amongst other healthcare professions as non-essential and opportunistic. So this is a topic that's really close to my heart as a dietitian and having spoken to lots of other dietitians on social media I know it's something that many of you are equally passionate about so I really hope that you enjoy this episode. In this episode, I chat to a variety of dietitians working in different clinical roles. You will hear them introduce themselves and talk to you about the work that they've been involved with during the pandemic, as well as their reactions to that Daily Mail article. My name is Hermione Brandt. I'm an acute dietitian working at Salisbury Hospital. I found it pretty heart-wrenching. Um, it was really devastating to see that we'd worked so hard and we were so flat out and busy during the COVID period. And then just seeing that flash up, saying that we were non-essential. I think alongside a lot of other dietitians, there was an array of emotions. I was angry, um, but weirdly, I, I wasn't surprised. I think we're often quite an overlooked profession. And I just felt like yet again, we'd been misunderstood and overlooked. And actually, we were working behind the scenes solidly throughout the entirety of COVID. So a bit angry upset but not that surprised. So tell me a bit about the work that you've been involved with during the pandemic. Um, so initially for the sort of first wave, um, from my experience, I was upskilled to cover intensive care. So I spent about half of my time on intensive care um, alongside another dietitian. And then I solely ran the respiratory wards and the um, COVID step down to the HDU wards as well. So Basically, for me, the entire hospital almost for, for my workload became COVID central. So everyone I was seeing was mostly COVID patients, whether they were um, on general wards, whether they were palliative, whether they were ITU or HDU. So there was an array of different jobs to do, but it was very busy. How did it feel to be working um, in a hospital during the pandemic? Um, did, did you have any issues you know PPE and things like that so personally for me from my experience there was always PPE there when I needed it um it was very hot it was quite suffocating at times um and I was very lucky in that when I went on to ITU I went on probably for you know an hour an hour and a half at a time and I could leave and I really empathized with the nurses who were on there for up to sort of four hours all day um it was quite emotional um, we were all very lucky in that we all communicated very well. There was a lot of psychological support for us. But I think the whole thing was very tiring and actually hot and overwhelming at times. But we were really supported. There was always PP there available for us. Um, and actually, sometimes I felt quite privileged because it meant that we were working with people. I wasn't sat at home all day twiddling my thumbs like the article suggested. I was actually really busy running around doing my work. So I felt like I was being useful. And actually, because COVID, especially at that time, was such an unknown, I was often walking around with the doctors and with the nurse specialists saying, oh, look, this patient's, for example, this patient's sodium's high, but also we're seeing that they're fluid overloaded. What should we do? So we were very much troubleshooting together and actually very much part of the MDT. So we felt quite valued for it. So very tired and overworked, but also valued and interesting work because it was also new. Yeah, absolutely. Because being a Banfide dietitian and suddenly being thrust into ICU, that must have been quite a change from the wards that you were used to working on. Yeah, it was a massive change. I mean, I'd spoke at the moment, I do a lot of stroke and a lot of gastro work. So it was completely different being put into intensive care. And my team were very supportive, we're a very small team, and we really worked closely together. So I learned a lot very quickly about working in ICU. I learned a lot very quickly about respiratory. Um, and luckily, um, as I said very supportive team so she my manager would just sort of talk me through things at the beginning and then by the end of it I felt pretty confident in knowing what to do and what to suggest for the patients. Um, in the article it talks about morale being quite low in the NHS at the moment and um, workers worrying about sort of job cuts and um, also you know wanting pay rises and things like that mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if that's if you can relate to any of that. Um, I would definitely I can only talk about my experience, obviously. For the first wave, I, I didn't find morale to be low. But actually, interestingly, this time round, I do. I think we're all very tired. It's been going on for a long time. We've worked very hard. 
Um, and definitely I found personally, I'm more tired at the end of the day now than I was during the first wave. And personally for me, I'm not as run off my feet now as I was previously. Um, so yeah, I'd say morale is probably lower than it was. I don't think there's any worries of any job. I haven't heard any rumors of any job cuts around us, but, um, I think actually we've shown our worth in the hospital and how important we are. So I'm hoping that maybe we could try and get more funding, but that's just me and that's what we're hoping for. It might not happen. Um, no, I'd say, but morale's definitely low. And the, the patients coming in now, um, we were also seeing the patients that were missed during the first wave. So it's often quite emotive as well. When you say patients missed during the first oh, wave. sorry, as in like people maybe who have, for example, dysphagia um, for a few months, but didn't go to their GP because because they were worried about COVID, but who are actually now presenting quite late on, for example, with esophageal cancer. So that's quite emotive. Or I'm, I'm often finding that I'm seeing quite a lot of increased alcohol intake in patients. Um, that's something that potentially is due to the previous lockdown and people drinking more and then subsequent liver damage and pancreatitis. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely bringing morale down a little bit. Yeah, it's very interesting, the effects yeah. that COVID's had on, on everybody's mental Definitely. health. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I think it has it had a huge impact on all of our mental health. And the fact that that article then said that we were just sat twiddling our thumbs when actually, for me, I was working the hardest I'd ever worked. And learning a huge amount was a bit disheartening and brought morale down further, probably. What would you say about that statement about dietitians being non-essential? We're taught as dietitians that everything we do needs to be backed with evidence. So, and I would say that a journalist, everything a journalist writes should be backed with evidence. And that isn't at all backed with evidence. And that's right for a lot of dietitians to stand up and shout because we often don't stand up and shout loud enough. Our voices are often not heard or our voices often aren't loud enough. So I think actually we could use this as an opportunity to stand up and say, actually, this is what we do. This is what we did in COVID. That nutrition isn't simply sitting in a clinic room, educating somebody on trying to lose weight. Being a dietitian is a multifaceted role with varying specialities, one of them being respiratory, one of them being intensive care. And in response to this statement and that journalist, we could actually use it as a positive and show what we do because they were completely wrong. Hi, I'm Rosalind Gray. I'm currently working as a specialist dietitian in North Wales, working in an adolescent mental health service. Can you tell me, Rosalind, what were your thoughts on that Daily Mail article? Oh, I was <laughs> I was so angry when I seen it and I wanted to react at first, but I decided um I've got like an Instagram but I decided not to because I knew that anything that I would say would be out of a bit of emotion. So it would. Um, but then I think I went back to work. I went back on that afternoon, that later that afternoon, and seen so many dietitians tweeting about it on Instagram about it, and I felt so proud of like all my colleagues that we had all like reacted in the same way, but all in very professional ways. Um, so it was good to see how much. Um, positivity came from it and even um, my sister works she's a speech and language therapist she, the article even got out to her she was like oh like we can't believe that they've wrote this about you so it was nice to see that other allied health professionals were like rallying around as well um, so yeah I went from anger to then a bit more calmness and felt like a real um, connected to like others in the profession that we all felt the same way Absolutely. And I, I had a look on the Daily Mail article just a couple of days ago, and I think there's nearly a thousand comments, most of them from allied healthcare professionals. And it's so lovely to see everybody unite and come together to support and champion the work that we all do. Yeah, I did. I recently seen that. I'm not sure if it's the author of the article or someone related to the Daily Mail said he apologised. And it wasn't dietitians he was referring to, but nutritionists. But that still made me feel equally quite angry for those in that profession because I think at the minute nutritionists are trying really hard to also show that they they also work in NHS they also help a lot of people so they do and maybe they're not protected by the same bodies as us but they still have a role for people in this pandemic so I, I felt a bit saddened by the response that he gave that he just changed the terminology 
of the profession. And I think it shows as well that he doesn't have much understanding of our role. So did he suggest that um, it was actually nutritionists that he was referring to in the article? That's why I picked up on it. Mm -hmm. So it was, and I've seen a few nutritionists um, that are a bit disheartened by it as well. So I thought that was quite poor that he had just, um, you know, decided to change the terminology, but he's still insulting another profession at the end of the day. Mm, mm, definitely. Um, in, t in terms of the, the pandemic and the effect that that's had on your role, um, how has your work been affected? And also how does it challenge the claims in the article that dietitians are a non-essential profession? So um, back in May, I was logoming as a specialist paediatric dietitian. And what I found was um, we had loads of children coming through to like A&E um, assessment unit that were all um, underweight, like newborn babies. And basically they hadn't had any support because community services were a halt. So we had a lot of like first time mums that maybe had babies with like feeding difficulties and they actually weren't gaining weight and they just didn't have any input from health visitors and it was then a knock-on effect that they were actually coming to the hospital very underweight and I was having to very quickly put plans in place in place to try and help them gain weight at healthy rates to improve like their onward health so I found that quite interesting that um, there was a wider effect of like lockdown the pandemic whilst no at the time no children were getting covid there were the side effects of children not having those community services or support in place. Um, and then, and we were extremely busy because we were getting called and called to like the assessment unit because they didn't want to admit these children to the hospital stay because of a risk of COVID. Um, but at the same time, there was no community services to help them um, give them support because a lot of paediatric dietitians had actually been redeployed to help adult services at the time. So it was all very... Um, services just weren't 100% how they usually would be rolling out. Um, since then I've started, um, I'm working in CAMS, so that's Child and Adolescent Mental Health, and um, we are just full capacity. We've got massive waiting lists, and it's just because young people don't have any support. They've all, all their mental health has been severely affected, and usually there would be loads of services in place to help these people get back to school, um, if they're not at school, further education or um, like support to find jobs. And none of those services are unfortunately running at the minute. And it just gives these people, they've got no hope or no like no positive outlook. And unfortunately, what it means for us is we're a 12 bed unit. We literally don't have capacity to take on anyone else at the minute. And um, my role's changed a bit as well. I usually see eating disorder patients um, but we have none on the ward at the minute, which is fantastic. Um, but our community team are working really hard to keep those people out of the ward. But it means that my job's kind of evolved that instead of seeing eating sore patients, I'm seeing um, young people that have got borderline personality disorder, um, severe risk of um, suicide. And I've just never worked with that patient group before. So I'm very quickly having to advance my skills and learn about all these other mental health conditions and kind of change the way I work because I'm used to doing meal plans and they're very specific to people but with these young people that have more disordered eating um, we don't actually focus too much on giving them meal plans so the way I work I've just had to completely change that so I have which has been quite quite challenging and the role's been quite challenging as well because a lot of the team are working remotely so we've just had to completely change the way we work and it's just very hard to have all these MDT meetings with maybe 10 other professions all via Zoom which is just there's always connection issues <laughs> so in response to the Daily Mail I suppose I'd say um, we've never been busier <laughs> and we've had to change the way we work and we've had to provide a lot of extra support to our patients and kind of step up on the skills that we have and um, widen our skill set as well to support these people. I just want to ask you um, about going back to what you said about mental health. So there's been a huge focus in the media recently about the effects of the pandemic, not just on health professionals and people working on the front line and their mental health, but also on um, 
members of the public. How has the mental health of your service users been affected by the pandemic in your experience? Um, it's just, it, it's, sorry, <laughs> I'm trying to find the words because it's, it's really sad. We had a couple of young people that got discharged from the service, maybe back in March, and they've been readmitted since because when they got discharged, they had all these, we kind of send like a care package home with these young people. And because of lockdown, social distancing, a lot of our community services can provide those services at the minute. So those young people find themselves maybe in um, accommodated living where usually they're quite, they're, they're by themselves. They've got limited contact with their friends and family because of social distancing. And they just feel even more alone now than maybe what they already did. And I just um, bring them back into the ward and we're trying different types of um, psychology therapies. At the end of the day, they're just coming back and saying, but there's nothing for me going on right now because there's, there, there's nothing going on for anyone. But whenever you're in that position already, they cannot see any light at the end of the tunnel. And it's really hard to try and persuade them that there is because even like our staff morale is quite low at the minute as well because um, everyone's been affected by the pandemic so it's trying to keep upbeat for yourself but also for the young people. Yeah and in, in the article it did talk about the morale of um, NHS workers being at an all-time low at the moment it sounds like that's something that you echo in, in your experiences would you agree? Yeah definitely as, as I said like all usually on our ward we would have 68 young people with eating disorders and the staff in our ward are all fantastic they've all had extra training in London for the Mosley they're all like pros at how to treat um young people with eating disorders and as I said we've now got a different set of clinical um conditions that we're all not that we're familiar with but we're not experts in and we're all having to change our skill sets not just me also psychologists the nurses the OTs and I think that's been really hard for everyone and then with staff sickness, people just aren't getting the time off probably that they need just to help them reset their own mental health and physical health as well. So. If, you, if you could um, have a word with the journalists that wrote the initial article, my final question to you is, what would you say? I would invite him to come shadow me for a day. So I would, I think that, I think, I, could, I don't think I could put into words what I'd want to say. I think I'd like, I'd like him to see it, like a picture says a thousand words. So I'd invite him to come shadow me for the whole day just to see what he does and see that we're not just twiddling our thumbs and that our day can range from MDT meetings to meeting with young people to liaising with catering teams um working with parents and how how much how many different people we speak to in the day and how much support we um, provide to people as well as doing some meal plans helping them with their many choices and um, just so he can see how wide the job is so I think I'd invite him for a day out with me. Hi my name's Claire Jones I'm a community paediatric dietitian um, I work in Liverpool um, and I'm currently the team leader that manages the community team that sees a variety of different paediatric patients. What was your response to the Daily Mail article published a few weeks ago? Hi Harriet, well um, if I'm honest it was one of my colleagues that pointed it out and um, spoke to me about it at the end of a very long busy day and I won't lie it felt like an absolute <laughs> kick in the teeth I think um, for for all of us, really, when we read it, um, it felt very demoralising, very frustrating that once again it sort of epitomised the lack of understanding, really, of the the role, the extended role that dietitians do. As one of my colleagues said, "Oh, typical. They just think we're the food police again." Absolutely. And um, how has your work during the pandemic demonstrated that actually our profession is essential, despite the assertions made in that article? Um, yes, I mean, we went on a bit of an internal rant about how busy we've been. I mean, literally since the pandemic started, uh, our job has not stopped. And I'd say we've been as busy and as hardworking as ever. 
um, and certainly not sat there twiddling our thumbs during the past few months. For our team in particular, um, in our wisdom, we decided to um, transfer all our complex care tube feeding children from the um, acute team to the community team just as the at the beginning of um, lockdown. So suddenly we were managing these very complex children um, out in the community when we couldn't see them, we didn't really know them. We were triaging, assessing a real unknown risk um, and just couldn't go out and meet them and get to know these families. So it was really, really difficult. On top of that, in the first lockdown, we were experiencing a few issues with deliveries and supplies um, with some of these patients. The other thing we found was we were getting um, a lot of um, our, our patients getting discharged a lot earlier from the hospitals. So they were quite keen to get the non-COVID patients out while the COVID patients were coming in. So it meant we were getting quite poorly and quite unstable patients coming out into the community. And we were having to manage those and look after those remotely um, and often unseen, which wasn't without its challenges. Um, thinking about some of our other patient groups, um, I'm sure a lot of other dietitians will, you know, resonate with this, that we had um, like our allergy patients that suddenly with all the panic bite that was going on and the restrictions in um, the number of products people were allowed to buy, you know, we were having our allergy patients, for example, that weren't able to access the really important foods they needed. Um, some of our other uh, patient groups like our um, ASD children or our uh, disordered eating children would only eat certain foods and perhaps in large quantities again we couldn't get you know they couldn't get a hold of the foods that you know they needed to ensure their nutritional status was maintained and they were also really really struggling with this complete turnaround of um, routine as well so it was really difficult for them and I suppose, um, again, like a lot of dietitians up down the country, we were running group sessions for some of our patient groups, like the cow's milk allergy groups, which are really important and really vital as a sort of peer support for these families. And it, the sessions we ran were very hands-on and um, very involved. And again, we couldn't run these groups. So initially we set up videos for them, a YouTube video, um, and now going forward, we've actually developed that onto Teams Live. So we're going to be doing live virtual group sessions with these families. But we've had to turn turn all that round, all the paperwork, all the resources for that. So it's been really, really busy. Yeah. And what's the impact been on your team? Because you're are you a team manager of um, other dietitians? Yeah. Um, first, we're quite a small team. And um, I will admit, my, my little team has been absolutely amazing. I've been really, really blown away by the, you know, the resilience and the strength of character that they've all shown. And they've really pulled together and maintained a really positive outlook. But, you know, we've all had our tough days. We've all had our dark days. And we've all had days where we've really questioned, you know, our job and did we want to be there? But... It, it has, you know, it, it has taken its toll. Um, we go into this job, don't we? Because we enjoy interacting with people. And as we all know, you know, a lot of our communication is nonverbal. So we're used to sort of sitting with people and all of that helps us understand the families and patients we work with. And suddenly we've all been working very much in isolation remotely. And it's just, it's, it's change. And obviously as humans, we find that a real challenge sometimes don't we so. yeah absolutely and, and in the article the journalist talked about burnout and sort of low morale amongst the NHS is that echoed in in your experience of working with your colleagues um I would say yes and I would think probably just because of the nature of lockdown we've got at the moment and outside work you know we haven't really been able to have true downtime um, and be able to do our, our own stuff out of work and have that escapism that we all enjoy that's not work-related. So it's, you know, I, people, I, I feel, haven't felt rested or been able to, you know, switch off from work in the way that they used to. So 
Um, yes, and I think we're all definitely teams called out. You know, we're we're <laughs> we're very much you know feel sometimes we're just glued to our um, computer screens, and that's we just seem to talk to a box um, and lack that sort of you know literal contact we get with colleagues and patients alike. So yeah, yeah, yeah that human interaction is so important. Yeah. If you could have uh, a word with the journalist that wrote the article, my final question, what would you say to him? <laughs> <laughs> I would say, come and spend a day with us. Come and see what we do. Um, we, you know, uh, the perception of dietetics um, is, is frustratingly poor at times. And I think unless you walk in our walk a day in our shoes, I don't think you really truly understand um, what is going on. I would say personally, from my own experience, having worked a lot for more from home, even my partner has sort of come to me and said, "Wow, I, I really didn't get what you did, but gosh, you you deal with some quite difficult stuff and some quite challenging stuff and." what you do is actually quite important when looking after the health of people. I just didn't get that. So yes, you know, any journalist would be welcome to come and, you know, have a bit of a, um, a shadow with us and see what we really do. I mean, I thought the, um, the dietitians that responded to that um, article in the paper, um, you know, kept reinforcing our role in a really dignified way. And, you know, hopefully dietitians like up and down the country will keep letting people know what we do do. And like I said, we're not just the food police. Hi, my name is Ashley Piggott and I'm a paediatric diabetes dietitian part-time in the NHS. I'm also a freelance dietitian working in private practice and um, also involved in some media and writing projects. It was really disappointing to see such a naively, um, poorly informed article describing dietitians as non-essential. And um, from a personal point of view, as somebody who was working in an NHS setting throughout the COVID pandemic, supporting the education of children and young people diagnosed with type 1 diabetes to allow them to go home safely and well, it was absolutely heartbreaking to think that that work could be perceived as non-essential. Um, and then also professionally, having seen many of my colleagues up and down to ITU regularly, having to wear PPE, um, being absolutely exhausted, working on wards, um, helping promote the nutritional status of, of people who've lived with COVID or developing nutrition plans for the field hospitals. It was really infuriating to, to think that dietitians are, are being considered as non-essential. Um, and whilst it was hard to, to listen to and to read, I think we as dietitians have got a role now to really shout out about what we're doing. We're very um, good at getting our head down and getting the job done, but perhaps we need to sell the message about what we're doing and how well we're doing our jobs. And what sort of work were you involved with during the pandemic? And how does that perhaps challenge the assertion in the article that our profession, amongst others, is non-essential? Um, unfortunately, type 1 diabetes didn't go away during the pandemic. We still had lots of children diagnosed with type 1 diabetes coming into hospital critically unwell. And for safety and in order to support the NHS, it was essential to get them home as safely and as well as possible. So implementing structured education quite early on in a child's diagnosis to allow them to go home safely was something that never stopped throughout COVID. Um, and we as dietitians are heavily involved in that process. Um, in addition, we would have changed, we changed quite a lot of our outpatient practice. So um, initially we did a lot less face-to-face, -face, but we still did urgent face-to-face. -face. Um, we've always run virtual clinics, but we really upped the ante with these and started to do a lot more virtual um, education, a lot more virtual support initially. Um, and we were probably one of the very first services to re-establish face-to-face clinics in our hospital recognizing that the support that children and young people living with diabetes need um, to manage their condition can't always be done over the phone, can't always be done using virtual platforms. And we did re-establish face-to-face contact as needed quite soon after, both to support the children and young people and also to meet best practice guidelines and, and running things like um, drive-through HB1C clinics was really inspirational and really good to be part of. Um, and we've also started to put children and young people 
on insulin pump therapy, but using virtual platforms. So we've really thought outside the box and really changed our practice, both as a diabetes team, but also being a dietitian as part of that team has, has allowed me that flexibility to really push and drive nutrition forward as part of that agenda. And how did it feel to be working on the front line during the pandemic? I can only imagine it might have been stressful, perhaps overwhelming at times. I think working with children and young people um, in a in NHS setting, it never felt like the front line. Um, we didn't see children and young people become very unwell with COVID, um, managing their illness or managing any kind of temperatures or um, complications of of viral illness during the pandemic it was all about just keeping them safe trying to keep them out of hospital if possible and bring them in if needed but there was a really good ethos both on the wards and in our office everybody supporting each other everybody trying to keep each other safe and look out for each other um, and a great awareness about kind of respecting what other people were worried about and um, so some people felt more comfortable um, keeping their distance keeping um you know, so having to work from home if their health needs needed. Um, and it was really inspirational to see how everybody kind of pulled together to still run and, and, and manage a service despite kind of a variety of different challenges. And you also do some freelance work alongside your NHS work. I'm just wondering if, if that was affected at all during the pandemic. Yeah, so initially we, I assumed that we would see a decline in, in freelance referrals or self-referrals for um one-to-one dietetic advice but what I saw was a major surge in um, people looking for one-to-one advice from a dietitian. There was quite a lot of anxiety around health and a lot of anxiety around nutrition plus people's eating habits really changed during COVID and what we saw was people looking outside of their usual platforms or friendship groups um, to to experts in nutrition for some evidence-based quality advice and actually that made me realise in some of the work I did with people to keep them safe and healthy and to manage healthy routines around, around kind of working from home and COVID was quite inspirational, really, because it made me realise that actually people do need this, this evidence-based consistent advice. And some of the uh, responses that we gave as a professional organisation to the media and to some of the media platforms out there when there was so many confusing and conflicting messages I would view as key um, as, as really essential services um, otherwise it got very confusing at times with some of the nutritional messages out there. Just a note on um, liaising with the media I know you, you're a BDA media spokesperson yourself um, have you had a role in liaising with the media during the pandemic? What we found is it was a bit of peaks and troughs throughout the pandemic. Um, there was periods where headlines were very focused on numbers, or rates, death rates. Um, and then as the links between uh, BMI and COVID complications started, started to emerge, I personally was hit by lots and lots of media contacts, media um, inquiries looking for clarification on this looking for some consistent messages and responses um, and I think it was really important to be able to give that as an evidence-based practitioner because what we did see during the pandemic was lots of stigmatizing messages around body weight around body size around nutrition given and quite inconsistent messages around what a healthy diet should look like so it was really important to be able to give that advice and I certainly found a peaks and troughs over the last six months or so but um we definitely have have had to step up a lot in terms of the the response that we give if only that daily mail ask um journalists had come to you for quote <laughs> a quote in that article about our profession never mind Absolutely. I, think, I think that's what what we need to make sure that we do from now on in is really shout about how great we are. We've got this unique kind of blend of skills where we give evidence-based messages. We're also really good communicators and we're really good at taking into account people's um, current situation and where they're at. So I think it's it's really selling that and, and making sure that people know that we are essential and we are needed. And just finally, if you could have a word with the journalists that wrote the article describing dietitians and other health professions as non-essential and opportunistic, what would you say to them? 
So now that some time has passed and I've had time to reflect, I wouldn't just um, shout and scream, but I would like to ask them where they got this idea from and what they actually think that dietitians do. Um, because it's quite interesting to, to, to believe that, that they're back in a situation where they think that we're just walking around handing out apples and telling people to have more fruit and vegetables. I'd love to find out a little bit more about where they think our background is and what role we're actually providing um, in order to correct them and to explain about the multiple areas that dietitians work in um, and how actually dietitians are the backbone or a really important cog in many multidisciplinary teams and a really important part of the National Health Service and, and also lots of different areas. Hi, I'm Sarah Farron and I'm an advanced specialist surgical and gastro dietitian in an acute trust in the NHS. At first, I was really angry, really upset, and I think a lot of my colleagues were because as soon as we all saw it, we have a like a group WhatsApp that we chat about on things, and um, everyone was upset and angry. It was as if we were had been doing nothing, hadn't been involved in it, hadn't been putting ourselves at risk, hadn't been working longer hours, and that what we do for patients in the NHS was irrelevant and pointless during the pandemic, because obviously they thought we weren't doing anything. Um, and the fact that they thought that we were piggybacking off of the, um, other healthcare professionals that had been involved in the pandemic um, just really upset, upset us and upset myself. Um, it was frustrating to see that they were putting this into the public domain when already I think a lot of people had felt that people weren't aware of what we do and weren't aware of our involvement during the pandemic because even um, friends and people that I knew were surprised I was still going to work in the hospital during it because they were sort of wondering what I was doing. Um, so for that to just enhance it even more in such a public domain um, was quite upsetting for the hard work that we have been doing and um, the responsibilities that we do have. Um, once I'd slept on it initially, I wanted to do a response immediately on my own sort of social media and campaign, but I was just like, that's not the way to deal with it. And like yourself with this podcast, the only way that you can deal with it is explaining what we do, explaining what we have been doing and our roles and the importance of what we do in the NHS and um in other fields as well um so i did highlight i got pictures of myself in full ppe so um obviously because we have been on the front line and um and i just posted that with just an explanation of what i have been doing in the nhs and then people can take from that what they want hopefully um put a different message across rather than an angry response i put more of an informative response across so that people could understand the stresses and strains and the roles that we've been doing during this pandemic. And can you tell us a bit more about how your job changed during the pandemic? Yes, so normally I'm, um, my main role in the trust is doing parental nutrition um, for surgical patients and gastro patients. I do have um, ITU experience in the past, but my role currently hasn't been in ITU. But due to um, the vast numbers of ITU beds that we had to open up, um, I had to change my main role and I was involved on ITU and HDU alongside my um, critical care dietitians. So I was um, sort of not redeployed, but just sort of changed my area of focus during the main the sort of height of the pandemic. Um, I was on ITU critical care dealing with these extremely poorly patients, plus also supporting um, my junior colleagues that were obviously didn't have the experience of having to deal with other patients necessarily more complex patients on the wards that some of us that had to come off the main wards would normally deal with because they wouldn't have had the experience to go into ITU um, to deal with the complex patients plus also support them with the the stress the anxiety that they were experiencing as well so that was all very different Plus, due to the fact that we, it was so unknown of what these patients' requirements and the sort of the patients that we were dealing with, 
the needs that were going to be we were having to look into sort of like the research that was going on we had to um sort of look into dealing with new protocols and new systems in place because we were running out of feed pumps we were potentially looking at expecting to possibly um, because the patients were needing to be proned considering that we might need to do more things like parental nutrition due to the fact they might not be um, dealing um, sort of managing um, and tolerating entrant feed nutrition these patients that were um, being ventilated and sedated um, plus also because we weren't on the wards as much because some of us were being pulled off the ward, uh, of these sort of general wards, shall we say, um, onto ITU and HGU, we had to write systems in place so that the nurses and doctors on the wards could deal with some of the um, more basic nutritional needs on the wards, such as oral nutritional support and following protocols. So we were very, very busy in the um, beginning um, because so much of it was unknown and so complex and um, it was changing daily. So we were having to change all of our roles in the beginning and um, sort of supporting each other in different ways. And what were the effects personally on working on the front line during the pandemic? How did it affect you and your family? For myself directly, I have to admit I was... In the beginning, I was I really struggled with anxiety, but knowing that we were all in the same boat, having to just get on with it, um, because things were changing daily, information coming down <clears throat> was changing daily, and sometimes feeling a little bit um, confusing and conflicting, which I think the public can also understand with the information that's coming out still to members of the public. It was very sort of stressful having to make sure that we were protecting ourselves and doing the best for ourselves and our patients, um, but realising that we just had to get on with it, even when we didn't necessarily understand the protocols with the full PPE, not also having always all the correct PPE or full PPEs people aware of in the beginning. Um, but the stress of coming home to this as well, having a little one at home, a two-year-old at the time, and a vulnerable father, um, I was sort of having to change at work. I wasn't catching the train anymore to work. I was driving, coming home, literally my husband would hold my little one when I got home. I'd strip off and go straight into the shower um, and sort of then give him my little one a hug because he wouldn't obviously wanted one. And at the time, at the beginning, when we didn't know the full extent of everything and how it could be um, transferred and that... Um, giving him cuddles but still nervous of bringing this home the anxiety was very intense and it did affect our family dynamics my little one was really traumatized at the beginning with when I was coming home and wouldn't give him cuddles immediately um he's still now when I come home he as soon as he had come in the door from work he goes jams mummy shower so it's he's already adjusted how he sees it and it's quite strange to see how he has but other things like even going out um, when we were allowed to, or still now going out and seeing friends, even on one-to-ones or my family sort of being conscious of even going to the shops because of being conscious, being involved with COVID patients of being possibly an asymptomatic carrier um, or even um, sort of transferring it to anything or anyone was has always been in the back of my mind. Um, and trying to limit that as much as I can and being responsible and careful but obviously that takes its toll on your mind and on your your day-to-day life with what you how you would normally do things. I know obviously everybody's changed their ways and I know that everybody's having their own different anxieties and which is so true for everybody. But things like I haven't even given my dad a cuddle since the 12th of March. Um, I haven't been in his house. He's not been in my house. He's, he's sort of like he's missing out on seeing his grandson as much because of it because I'm conscious of him spending time with him because of his close proximity to me so it's not just changed my family dynamic it's changed relatives and friends of mine as well so it has had a massive impact outside of the work role as well. I'm just wondering if there was any support offered to you at the hospital um, during the pandemic and, and now as well. 
I have to admit, our trust um, has done a very good job with that. Um, they they provided, they changed adjustments to things that weren't being utilised as much as like our outpatient areas. They turned into things like wobble rooms and um, um, sort of calm sit-down areas. If you were having some time that you were really stressed, you could move away from um, the clinical area and sit down. Um, we were very lucky that a lot of companies were providing us with extra things like snacks and drinks and treats, even silly things like hand cream, because obviously the scrubbing of your hands so much day in, day out, they were getting cracked and sore. Um, and so we had nice little areas like that, little areas we could sit down and even simple things like meditation and um, or colouring even just to sort of help calm us. Um, they've also set up sort of telephone lines and um, other sort of um, counselling areas that you can go to. So there has been, I can't fault my trust for that, there has been a lot of support from our trust to try and provide the area. Um, it might have been a little bit slow initially in the beginning, but I just I think because nobody understood the, the dynamics and the how long it was going to go on for either and how intense it was going to be. So, but no, they have, they did do um, a very good job, obviously, but there's only so much that that can do to prevent that impact still. In the article, the journalist describes dietitians and other professions as non-essential and just twiddling your thumbs for the better part of a year. What would you say to the journalists that rate those claims? Um, I would say that if you're going to write something in such a prominent area that in as the mail is um in the public domain that you need to ensure that you get your facts straight that you speak to both sides um or all sides shall we say because it's not just the dietitians that they, they've spoken about they need to speak to all of the people and get comments and information to write um a well-rounded informed article there may have been certain professionals that might have had reduced um specific roles that they normally fulfill but I don't think anybody's been twiddling their thumbs because everybody's been supporting um, other healthcare professionals as well in different ways or redeployed so everybody has definitely been working hard and in a stressful environment. Um, I would say even if he could have interviewed a dietitian obviously he wouldn't have been able to have come onto the front line that would have been irresponsible to um, invite him down onto a COVID ward but to see the roles that we have been playing, whether it's like myself and my colleagues that are working on ITU with these patients that were so poorly um, and explaining to him that how would you expect these patients to recover or fight this disease when they haven't, if they're not getting any nutrition or getting the wrong nutrition, like as I said in, in my social media, that you wouldn't expect a car to run without any fuel. So how can you expect the human body to run without any nutrition, which is the fuel? And to see the complexity of these patients and the complexity that we were having to deal with, with the unknown. Um, and just seeing as well that the even from the acute to our community colleagues that are dealing with the long-term aftermath of COVID patients. Um, everybody's got a story to tell. And if he'd have just asked, I think many of us would have been there like we are now um, telling it to him. So I think next time, just especially when it's not your area of expertise, ensure that you do get um, information from those that are the experts that are directly involved with it to make sure that you are, um, speaking the truth or at least a well-rounded argument. My name's Eloise and I'm an acute dietitian currently working at Gloucester Hospital. I currently cover the general medicine wards and the respiratory wards. Well I'm very grateful that you've joined me today especially since Eloise has just revealed that unfortunately she's tested positive for Covid. Yes. Um, how does that feel? It's a shame because I've been on the Covid board since March and to get this far without having got it and then unfortunately picked it up along the way is a bit disappointing, but um, I feel okay at the moment, so I'll just take each day as it comes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think some of the other dietitians we've spoken to have also had COVID and yeah, yeah the stress of that on top of all the work that you've been doing 
in the pandemic it's hard it is hard and I think everyone we all we're all trying really hard with the PPE we're doing everything we can but unfortunately it does take you to scratch your nose at the wrong time doesn't it so it's it's a tricky one. So Eloise what led to you getting in touch and wanting to come onto the podcast what were your thoughts about that Daily Mail article that came out? So um, I actually cover respiratory high care and the respiratory wards at the moment in our hospital. So my main job is helping um, patients with COVID who are struggling with respiratory symptoms um, eat and drink and maintain their nutritional status. So to read the article and say that my work wasn't frontline and wasn't essential was really disappointing and just made me think that we really need to raise the profile of all the work we're doing um, and shout about what we're doing as dietitians so that this doesn't happen again. Mm. And can you tell us a bit more about the work that you've been involved in with these COVID patients? Yeah, so um, the the way our trust has kind of split up the wards, we have a respiratory high care unit where patients who are requiring non-invasive ventilation, so not fully ventilated on the ITU, but needing lots of respiratory, port, um, respiratory support um, are cared for on the main wards um, and I cover that. So we've seen patients who are really, really short of breath, having complete loss of taste and smell, um, really fatigued. Um, and one of the main things is that when these patients are taking their masks off to eat and drink, they're unable to maintain their oxygen saturations. So we've needed lots of nutritional input to make sure these patients are getting the nutrition that they need to recover um, from this illness. And how has it felt to be working on these wards in what I can only imagine must be quite a sort of critical and, and stressful environment at times? I think it, it's been it's definitely been very emotional and I think it's been quite it's been emotionally and kind of clinically challenging. Um, what has been really nice is the kindness and support kind of between the MDT and amongst the allied health professionals. So there's a really close-knit team of physios and occupational therapists who are working really hard on the wards. Um, with us as dietitians, the speech and language therapists. So I think the unity in the NHS is at a real high at the moment, and that's been brilliant. So I think that made it even more disappointing to read the article kind of knocking down particular professions, um, when actually more than ever, we need to stick together at the moment and support each other, um, because it is hard. And I think we are all feeling tired now. Um, It's all been a lot longer than what we expected. So we need to support and be kind at the moment. What's the morale like in, amongst your team at the moment? The morale is okay. I mean, we're really lucky that we have each other and we've all gone through it together the whole the whole way. Um, I think we are all definitely feeling quite tired now. Um, so it, I think it just highlights that we need positivity. We don't need these negative articles, especially kind of in a misinformed way. I think if the writer understood the role of a dietitian, he wouldn't, wouldn't be writing this. What do you think we could be doing as a profession to try and address or perhaps prevent more of these articles in the future? I think we need to shout about what we do. I think having a Twitter account, having an Instagram account, when you're at Christmas, when your family are making kind of dietitian comments saying, oh, you're a dietitian, I won't eat this then, actually saying, actually, that's not what I do. I'm actually feeding patients through tubes who can't eat and drink because they're unconscious or really tired and unwell. Um, so I think we just need to keep shouting about what we do and anyone who is misinformed, not be afraid to speak up and educate. And if you could have a word with the journalist that wrote this article, what would you say to him? I'd kind of, I'd offer him to come and shadow us, I think. I think it would be brilliant for him to come on the walls with us for a day, see all the work we're doing. And if he doesn't think it's essential to feed patients who would otherwise starve and not recover from their illness, then I wonder what he does think is essential, really. That is a very good point. And it's been, <laughs> it's been, uh, I love asking that question to dietitians because they all have such, um, yeah, strong opinions. And, and it's, it's correct. We're, as another dietitian said, we're an evidence-based profession. How can these exactly. journalists be, be writing assertions which are not backed up by any evidence? I think that's what's so frustrating is just the misinformation being spread. Because if you had any idea of what we're doing all day, every day, you wouldn't say we're non-essential. Um, so I think that's the biggest shame really I'd love him to come onto the wards for a couple of days <laughs> and then he'd see that we're really not twiddling our thumbs oh I wish I had more time to twiddle my thumbs to be honest <laughs> <laughs> well I hope that um, you do feel better obviously um, take things easy thank you and thank Thanks. you very much for joining us on the podcast
No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, I'm Clara Carr. I'm a paediatric dietitian working at Sheffield Children's Hospital. First of all, I thought the article was really inaccurate and it was my colleagues who, who brought it up and they were outraged and said, you know, if, if anything, we're more, we're more busy. Um, we're definitely not less busy and twiddling thumbs, like the article said. Um, and, and, you know, how the article said about the hospitals being empty, and it's, well, it's far from, from the truth. And I think that's the, the thing that made us so um, annoyed and maybe angry because it's not accurate. Um, I think that was the main we wanted to to you know set set it right and t- tell the truth. And what were your experiences of working in the NHS during the COVID pandemic? Well, we we've been going into work. We've not had um, there's not really been anything cancelled or in terms of clinics and going to the wards. We we have to go to the wards to to see patients and um, you know to to read. To, to, to read notes and to speak to nurses and doctors and patients. Um, it's, you know, we still need the children that we see. Um, some of them depend on tube feeds solely for their nutrition. So they need us to, um, whether it's um, a nasogastric or, you know, where you have a tube through your nose to feed or it goes straight into the stomach or even into the jejunum low down. Um, they need that. And some of them, um, some of my colleagues um, sort out the, parental nutrition which is feeding to the veins um, so we yeah we're as busy as ever um, the other thing is we see patients who are diagnosed with new conditions and they still need dietitians so Crohn's disease or whether it's celiac disease they still need support um, with their diets yeah in the article it talked about dietitians and other healthcare professions being non-essential how do you feel about that statement? Well, it's definitely far from the truth because nutrition is is so key, in um, especially in an acute setting you know, when people are really unwell. If they don't get nutrition, they don't recover um, as well. I mean, the worst case is if someone's not fed, then you know you can die of starvation. There's the feeding syndrome if someone's not had feed for a while. They need to be carefully, you know, carefully, gradually refed. Um, and, and dietitians are key, really, in, in this process, in a patient's care, um, especially if there's, um, if there's something you know, wrong with, with the gut. So gastroenterology, we're definitely um, key in the team, in the MDT. Um, so, yeah, we work, we work with the doctors, the nurses, um, and, and other allied health professions as well. I think it's not just the dietitians we've... It's uh, other professionals we know are working alongside us during this time. And how did it feel to be a frontline worker during the COVID pandemic? Um, did you have to wear PPE, for example, when you were working? Uh, it's only for those who have who who had um, who've tested positive for coronavirus. But obviously, like in work, we wear masks all day long as soon as we step into the hospital and um, until we leave. Um, we, you know, you gown up. We put the aprons and gloves on when we go and see patients. Um, yeah, so it's it, it has felt. To, I mean, it's it's good to be busy, um, and it has felt it is a privilege to be able to work and to help people. So, you know, I'm thankful that I have a job, um, and that I can help practically. And just finally, in the article, it talked about NHS staff feeling burnt out and the morale being being quite low at the moment. What do you think about that statement? I think um, it it can it, it can be because we because there's a lot of work to do. It just it can get you down. But I think the good thing is if you work in a good team and if you get appreciation. Um, I think the job satisfaction I find is from you know, the, the patients and the parents who, who are grateful for, um, for, the, for the help that we provide. Um, but it is, it's difficult when, it, when it's, um, yeah, when there's, there's a lot of work to do and sometimes, um, you know, I've been working over um, 
time. I mean, it could be even harder, I think, if you were directly dealing with COVID-19, uh, if pos COVID-positive patients. Um, but yeah, the work, the work con continues in, you know, regardless of lockdowns or not. Well, that concludes part two of our special episode in response to the recent attack on our profession in the Daily Mail. I'd like to thank all the dietitians who've been in contact with me in support of this episode, especially those of you who've given up your time to come onto Dietitian Cafe to share your thoughts, opinions and voice your concerns. It's clear from the responses on social media that celebrating, supporting and championing our profession is something that all of you and the BDA feel equally passionate about. So I'm delighted that the Dietitian Cafe podcast has become a platform in which we can champion your work. And I look forward to bringing you more episodes on topical and relevant issues within the profession soon. But in the meantime, I hope you take care of yourselves and thank you very much for listening.